Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known. Well, there was this young boy and he was uh, in the foyer of a church and he was just staring at a plaque on the wall and the pastor came into the foyer, saw the young man, he greeted him and the young boy greeted the pastor back and he just kept looking at that plaque and finally the young boy said, what is this? And the pastor said, well, it's a list of all the members' names that died in service. And there were several seconds of silence and finally the little boy said, which service, the 8.30 or the 10.30? (laughs) Better than last week's joke. <laughs> Some of you, else, Jeff's not here, so he, he doesn't know I said that. All right, now that we got the humor over with, we get down to business. This morning, I'm going to continue our study in the book of Philippians, and uh, I've entitled the message, What Lies Do You Believe? Part 3. We've been slowly moving through those lies and the importance of our mind, and So I want to continue doing that. Lord, I just thank you for just what has transpired. I thank you for our worship team, Lord, and I just ask for continued blessing upon them. I thank you for our graduates, Lord. Lord, it's a big step, whether a high school graduate or a college graduate. And I just really ask, even now, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them. They've got big decisions to make, and I pray that they will really seek you. Because it says if we truly seek you, we will find you. And we will find the wisdom that we need for the decisions that we need to make. And now, Lord, as we move towards your word, I just ask that you would fill me. That you would fill me. That you would fill this place, Holy Spirit. For you are life. You are the one that gives us life. You are the one that breathes life into us. And, Lord, we need life. People have come in this morning, and they're looking for life. And you truly have that life. So I just ask that even now, Holy Spirit, you will just be moving and bringing life and bringing freedom. And I just thank you for what you're going to accomplish now in these next several minutes. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are going to see that the second great satanic lie is that you and I do not need accountability. That you and I do not need accountability. And uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 this, just to refresh our memories. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And we've been focusing on that word think. That's not a suggestion. That's an imperative. It's a command. We need to think about what we are thinking about. And you say, well, why is this so important that I think about what I'm thinking about? The simple answer is the battle for your life and my life is in the mind. You win or lose life in the mind. And Satan certainly knows this, and we've been discussing this. And Jesus in John chapter 8 calls Satan the father of lies for a reason, because the way Satan will bring you down and destroy you or myself is by planting thoughts. He is able to actually plant thoughts in your mind, in my mind. Lies, half-truths. And if we believe those lies and half-truths, trust me, you'll find that your emotions will become negative and you'll find that your behaviors will become destructive. And that's what he's seeking to do, destroy both you and me. And so we've been over the last month or so looking at the top 10 lies of Satan. I just want to briefly review what we've looked at so far. Lie number 10, Satan does not exist. That's a great lie of Satan. If he can get you to believe that, you're going to think that your thoughts are your your own thoughts and you're much more likely to act on them. Lie number nine, all truth is relative. In other words, Satan is trying to get us to believe that there are no absolutes in life. Lie number eight, this book here, the Bible, is a man-made book, meaning that it has errors. Therefore, this book is a nice book, but it is not an authoritative book. Lie number seven, you are missing out. You are missing out. Lie number six, this world matters. Accomplishing something in this world will impress God. Lie number five, you can listen to, you can watch anything that you really want to. These things can't hurt you. Lie number four, sin is no big deal. Sin is no big deal. And lie number three, hell does not really exist. Now, I'm just going to ask you, if you've missed any of these messages or you just can't remember, please just go to the Bethlehem Community Church website. Just click on media, and you can listen to the podcast, or you can watch the video on YouTube. But please study these things. There's nothing more important that you understand what Satan is attempting to do to you. All right, before we move to communion this morning, I just want to look at Satan's second lie, and it is a whopper. And his second lie is this, is you don't need the church. You don't need the church. You can be a Christian on your own. You ever heard that lie before? You know, and sadly, more and more Christians in America are actually biting down on this lie. It's interesting, if you look at actual church statistics and attendance in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, even in in, in the early 2000s, attendance was somewhere between 38 and 42% of the American public was, was going to some church on any given Sunday. Recently, they've, you know, taken a poll of Christians in America, and you know what they have found? Only about 20 to 25% of Christians now are people in America go to church on any given Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, what also is interesting, according to studies on Christians in America, there's a new Christian in town. Did you know that? The new Christian in town is the do-it-yourself Christian. Right, there's a new Christian called the do-it-yourself Christian. And these Christians know what's best for them. They attend church maybe once a month, maybe once every two months. Uh, they listen, though, a lot to the radio. They'll say, well, I listen to contemporary you know, radio and, and Christian music, like Caleb and whatnot. Uh, these 
also do-it-yourself Christians, they listen to their favorite teacher or teachers or preachers on either the radio or they watch on television or they even stream it on computer. Now, here's the interesting thing, though, about that. They will find pastors and they will find teachers who agree with their brand of Christianity. Not too much help there, is it, you know? Not too much challenging. Also, these do-it-yourself Christians, they do donate money, actually, to Christian causes. Occasionally, it comes out to about 1% of their income. Uh, Statistically, these do-it-yourself Christians read the Bible about once a week, 15 minutes or less. And finally, and most devastating of all, these do-it-yourself Christians reject accountability. In fact, according to George Barna, Skip put up his picture, he's the foremost religious pollster today in America. Now, this is is a mind-blowing statistic. He says that only 3 to 5% of Christians in America who identify themselves as Christians actually are in any form of accountability. Now, you say, well, what is accountability? Thank you for asking Here is what accountability is. Now listen to this. Accountability is when a person is challenged to integrate biblical beliefs and principles into their lives. And in some sense, they must give answer as to whether this is actually occurring in their life. Only 3 to 5% of Christians in America are doing this. Now, let's be clear on one thing. You see what's happening here? Right here? We call this not accountability. Not accountability. This is a gathering of people. We sing some songs. uh, We pray some prayers. We might even give some money. And then you listen to some guy lecture for about 30 minutes. All right? And then then you go away. And do you understand that 95 to 97% of American Christians, that's all they do. That's it. And generally, at best, two times a month. And we wonder, no, we wonder why we're struggling. So many Christians just wonder why they're struggling with their thought life. I mean, they just can't control their thought life. They have negative moods. They're wondering why they're just struggling with these negative emotions that are just destroying them. And they also are just struggling with destructive behaviors that's not only destroying them, but their family members. And as we move towards communion this morning, I just want to look at two key biblical texts. There's so many more we could look at, but just two Just two key biblical texts that deal with discipleship and accountability. So please, you know, I just pray that you'll really listen to this and look at these two verses. And what I want you to think is this. Think about, as you look at these scriptures that I'm going to put up on the screen, think about how could my life be different? How could my life be different? Would my life be different if I actually attempted regularly you know, and intentionally to integrate these passages into my life. In other words, if I was to practice these, what we call one another's in the Bible. All right, here we go. We're going to look at the first scripture. The first scripture is James chapter 5 and verse 16. It says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You know, so many of us struggle just with physical problems. I, I bet you there's a lot of people that came in here this morning and you're just struggling with all kinds of physical maladies. Others of us, you know, are struggling just with emotional instability. We just have all kinds of negativity like we just talked about a few moments ago. And then I bet there's many that have walked in this morning. You're just spiritually dead. 
You are just spiritually dry, and you're, you're wondering, what in the world is going on? And you know what James says here in this powerful scripture? He says, oftentimes, now, now give him a break, all right? Just listen to him. He says, oftentimes, I didn't say always, but oftentimes the problem that we are having is that we have personal sin in our life. We have personal darkness in our life. We have rebellion in our life. And it's literally destroying us. And James tells us in this scripture, look what he said. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Do you really want to experience healing in your life? I mean, he says it is possible to experience freedom and healing in our life. But here's what's necessary. You have to be willing to bring out the darkness. You and I have to be willing to bring out our sin. We must confess it. We must repent of it. In front of a group of believers, not everyone here, in front of a group. I'm going to talk about this more in a moment. And, and, and then, guess what? Then it says there's power when these believers pray over us. And no, there's tremendous power. I want us to see when, we, when we're prayed over. I just want you to think, what would happen if you actually took James 5.16 seriously? I know, I know it's a terrifying thought for a lot of people, but what would happen if you actually took this seriously? What would happen if you intentionally met with a group of Christians, preferably of the same sex, I'm talking about three, four, or five people, and you're meeting regularly and intentionally? Just think now, and you could actually bring out what's inside you. Not in a judgmental way, no, but you could really bring out what you're struggling with, your thought life. The addictions, the stronghold, you could confess it, you could repent of it, and then, and then these people pray over you. No, they just pray over you. You know what James is envisioning here? He's envisioning a community of believers who are praying powerful prayers over one another, liberating prayers. He calls them fervent prayers. And the result is people are experiencing healing in their life. Let me just blow your mind. My sister's a doctor. My mother was a shrink, a psychologist. My brother-in-law is a surgeon. And you know what's interesting? The vast majority of physical illnesses that people have are not organic in nature. Did you know that? They are not organic in nature. You know what they are? They're emotional and spiritual in nature. That's what James is talking about here. He's talking about, in James chapter 5, people who are under tremendous pressure, who are faltering emotionally and spiritually. They're able to confess it and bring it out. And then they've got this community. He's not judging them, but praying for their victory, for their success. And they begin to experience their faith. Boys. And guess what? When your faith, boys, and it goes up, guess what? You begin to physically get better. There's a connection between the emotion, the spiritual, and the physical. I just, I wish we had more time, but just look at James chapter 5 and verse 16. I just want to look at one other verse, one other set of scriptures before we move to communion. That set of scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 23 and 25. It says this, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. I love those one another's. To act of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, in in, in cemetery, we, you know, had to take homiletics. We'd have the big idea. You know what the big idea here is? 
That was a question. (laughs) Keep going. Do you know the key to life is perseverance? The key to life is not quitting. I'm serious. And, and we're, we're going to see there's actually a lot at stake in this. Uh, many years ago, there was a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick. Skip, can you put up her picture? She was an incredible swimmer. In fact, she was, there she is. Florence was actually the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. And in 1962, in Because of all of her career accomplishments in swimming, she was inducted into the Breibart Hall of Fame in San Diego, California. The lone blemish, though, she did have a blemish on her swimming record. The lone blemish occurred on July 4th, 1952. She was going to be the first woman to attempt to swim the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island all the way to Palos Verdes, California, right there on the coast, a distance of 21 miles Unfortunately, on July 4th in 1952, it was a miserable day. All of the conditions and elements were going against Florence. The ocean was ice cold. Not only that, there was fog so thick that she could not see the support boats that followed her. The current was going against her. And on top of all of that, there were sharks in the area swimming around. All of these things were going against Chadwick, but early on that morning, on July 4th in 1952, she decided to go for it, and she entered the water, and she began to just swim, and she began to swim. And, and, and the support people and the boats that were behind her, they kept firing the rifles trying to keep the sharks at bay. Boy, that didn't make me a little nervous. Florence's mother was right there, and she was yelling out encouragement to her, and she just kept swimming and tried to keep swimming. But the fog never lifted. And at the 15-hour mark, Shadwick said to her mother, I don't think I can make it. And at 15 hours and 55 minutes, Florence Chadwick was pulled out of the water. And when she got out of the water, we have a Paul Harvey moment, and here's the rest of the story. When she got out of the water, she found out that she was less than one mile away. Less than one mile away from Palos Verdes. Can you believe? All she had to do was stay in the water a few more minutes, and she would have had the record right there. Later, a reporter interviewed her after kind of this epic failure, and here's what she had to say. Listen to her words, please. Look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I know I could have made it. You know, I love that story because so often we're so close to success in life, but we quit, we stop short, we don't persevere because we lose sight of our goal. We lose sight of our focus and we don't make it. Isn't that a tragedy? Calvin Coolidge. Skip, can you put up his picture? Calvin Coolidge, of course, is the 30th president of the United States of America. And Coolidge once said these powerful words. Listen to what Coolidge had to say. He said, nothing in the world takes place, the place of perseverance. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful people with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated failures. Persistence alone is omnipotent. Persistence alone is omnipotent. The challenge this morning as we go to communion is this. Finish strong. Finish the Christian race 
strong. There's nothing more important than finishing the Christian race strong. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, put up that scripture again. He's going to tell us what is absolutely important if we are going to do that. He says, now watch this. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Two things here. Two things if we are going to finish strong. Two things if you are really going to be able to persist and not quit. The first thing is this. He points out focus. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to our hope, to our goal. Do you know what our hope is if you're a Christian? Our hope as a born-again Christian is Jesus Christ. Our hope is the coming kingdom. Do you know that we will co-reign with him? If you are truly born again, there's a whole lot more life than just this life. You see, we tend to focus on this life, and it's a mistake. This life is maybe 70, 80 years for most of us. Then you have eternity. And see, our real hope is not in this world. I'm going to say it over and over again. The key to winning in the Christian life and being victorious is realizing that our hope is not here. Too many people falter because their hope is right here. Too many people falter because their hope is here. Our, we're like, have you ever read the book of Hebrews chapter 11? It says, I love chapter 11, Hall of Fame. It says that they're just walking through life like two suitcases in their hand and their focus is on the city not made with human hands their focus is on the city not made with human hands you cannot lose your focus that is first critical if you are going to persevere in your Christian walk secondly if we're going to persevere in our Christian walk he says let us think of ways to motivate you know what that word literally means in the Greek to irritate Let us irritate one another to acts of love and good deeds. So that requires that we meet together. So first you need focus, and then you need to meet together. Do you know if you read the book of Acts chapter 2, you can do this in your leisure this afternoon. It says that they met every day. Every day. And what they were doing is two things. They were irritating one another to love and good deeds. You know what that means? It means they were... Challenging one, are you you focusing your life on the eternal or are you focusing your life on the temporal? Which one? See, we all need to be challenged. It's so easy to get our focus on the temporal. The temporal glitters and it grabs our attention, but 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 in the end, it doesn't count. So we need to challenge one another consistently. Are you doing things that have eternal value or are you focusing on temporal things that will not count? And the the second thing is this, that when they were meeting together, they motivated one another. And you know what the second thing they did is they encouraged one another. Do you know they were under severe persecution in the early church? And they said, don't quit. See, it's so, if you're alone, Satan can pick you off. He can demoralize you in your mind. And it's so great when you're meeting with, that's why it's, you know, it's, I, I'm just going to tell you, there's no, there, 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 there's nothing else other than meeting. There, there, there's not option B or C. You've got to meet consistently. And it's great when someone says, just don't quit. I see what's happening to you. And then they pray over you. 
And there's real power in when you, that's why we place hands on one another. There's real power that is just transferred. So as we move towards communion, as we move towards communion, the reason why we do communion is guess who's the centerpiece of communion? Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith.